0: Hey everyone and welcome back to All Strings Considered. I'm your host Scott Wolf and today we're going to revisit my conversation with the incomparable lute and early guitar player Paul O'Dett. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories, and by audible.com. To get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audibletrial.com allstrings. There are over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I originally had to edit out a large section of our conversation on tuning systems, or temperament. But I keep meaning to come back to it, and so here we are. If you aren't sure what temperament is, the most frequent experience I have with it, as a guitarist, is when one of my students has tuned to a chord. For instance, an E chord like this one. If they've spent a lot of time tuning to that E chord, generally the E will sound really beautiful and warm, but then as they play their piece, they come across, say, a C chord, and suddenly... Doesn't sound great, does it? One solution, of course, is to never play a C chord and an E chord in the same song. Yeah, so that's not gonna work. So the only real solution is to split the difference by retuning both chords slightly imperfectly, they both can sound reasonably good to our ears. And the reason why we have to make that compromise, well, for that explanation, I asked for Polodet's help.
1: Let's really use it to put in the scent. Yeah, you put the, in the deviation from equal temperament. So for each pitch, you put plus two or minus two or whatever it happens to be. For Can you give us the temperament for dummies? Temperament for dummies? Uh-huh. Well, historically, starting in the Middle Ages, they determined the size of intervals based on Pythagoras' rules for what intervals you produce by strict ratios dividing a string length. So if you have a vibrating string length and you divide it in half, you get an octave. Mm-hmm. And as you divide the string into different, different ratios, you get different intervals as a result. Two to three, four to five, etc. Mm-hmm. The size of these intervals, though, is quite different from what we're used to today. The result of these strict Pythagorean divisions of the The vibrating string string length result in fifths that are wider than modern fifths, but they happen to be harmonically pure. That is, there are no beats when you play a Pythagorean fifth.
0: Okay, so I found a couple nice YouTube videos that demonstrate this really nicely. Here's a little snippet of one by Alexander J. Turner. To find his complete video, search The Sound of Just and Equal Temperament Demo. Here, Alexander compares a system called Just Temperament, which uses that Pythagorean fifth that Paula talking about, and then compares it with our modern system called Equal Temperament.
2: Here's the Just Temperament, the natural tuning of three to two. And over here, we're going to do the Equal Temperament, which is based on the 12th root of two. So now we can hear that there's a very, very slight misalignment in the harmonics and in the frequencies that causes them to move in and out of each other and shimmer. So
0: equal temperament, our modern tuning system, has a little bit thicker, a little bit more sort of a little bit stronger feeling of vibration.
2: That's the equal back onto the adjust.
0: And just temperament, or that pure fifth, has a little bit slightly smoother, more even kind of sound. Here they both are one more time. First, the pure, and then you'll hear that slightly thicker sounding
2: equal temperament. If one was to tune an instrument by ear, you would tend to move towards the just temperament where they sound perfectly aligned.
0: And that's exactly what happens when you perfectly tune that E chord, and then try and play some other chords. It sets up sort of a domino effect. Certain chords will sound great, and other chords will sound excessively dissonant.
1: You know the effect if you had two organ pipes sounding together. If they're not quite in tune, you hear this whoa 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 whoa, and as you get them closer and closer to tune, the beats slow down and eventually stop altogether at a state that we call acoustical purity. Uh Uh-huh. So an, an acoustically pure interval is one which has zero beats. Okay. An acoustically pure fifth is wider than a fifth that you would play on the piano. The thing is the Pythagorean ratios result in beautiful fifths and fourths and quite sour thirds because the major thirds are very wide and they beat extremely fast and the minor thirds are very narrow and they beat quite quickly so for that reason medieval theorists considered thirds to be dissonant or at least to be imperfect consonants Uh that is they were tension producing unlike unisons fifths and octaves which were Uh consonant they were perfect consonances because they had no beats, hence
0: ending our pieces on an open fifth,
1: right? Uh, And the reason that medieval composers avoided thirds because they were sour, they were out of tune, if you want to say it in the simplest way. Now, the obvious response to this is well, clearly the best tuning system you could have in music would be one in which all the intervals are pure. So let's just devise a system in which the thirds are pure, both major and minor, and the fifths are pure. Mm-hmm. The problem is the numbers don't add up. Now, Mother Nature, in her infinite wisdom, for some reason decided to make life more complicated than that. So if you pile a whole bunch of major thirds on top of each other, pure thirds, you don't end up with the same pitch after a couple of octaves. If you compare that to pure fifths or pure octaves. And there are various ways that people calculated this where you combine a whole chain of pure fifths and compare that to the number of octaves at the end and you find that there's this discrepancy, Uh which is called the comma. Okay, here's
0: where I'm gonna play you one more YouTube video. Uh, that you might want to check out. This one's really nicely produced with plenty of great visual examples. This is from a series called Howard Goodall's Big Bangs, the second episode of which is all about how we got to equal temperament.
2: If you've ever wondered why we have our particular set of notes to play with, well, they were chosen first by Pythagoras. And he found them by dividing pieces of metal by two-thirds. If you carry on dividing by two-thirds, again and again, you create an infinite sequence, or spiral, of notes. That two-thirds that he's
0: talking about is actually a series of perfect, or pure, fifths.
2: The first note is easy, because that was the note we made from our original metal bar. And that's the foundation, or the base, of our spiral. By dividing that first piece of metal by two-thirds, we were able to create a perfectly tuned new note, call it yellow. And that goes in a bit higher up. The pitch of the sound dictates its exact position in the spiral. By dividing yellow by two-thirds, we can create a third note, higher still and further round, and so on and so forth into an infinite spiral of new notes. The mathematical distance between them makes a rather satisfying shape. With the twelfth note in position, you can see from above a pattern emerging with the notes roughly spaced around the circle of the octave. But when you get to the thirteenth note, it all goes horribly wrong because the thirteenth note wants to shove the first note out of the way. This battle to occupy the same space creates a terrible and upsetting dissonance and is the result of something known as the Pythagorean comma.
1: And that's what you have to deal with in devising a tuning system that works for a musical instrument. Uh What happened was that in the 15th century, performers probably started performing major thirds lower than they were taught in Pythagorean temperament. They liked how they sounded. And it sounded more beautiful. Right. And eventually they realized that if you sang an acoustically pure major third, the major third sounded really beautiful. Thirds and sixths were suddenly, if you adjusted the tuning, you could make them sound wonderful. The problem is you can't tune them together with pure fifths, at least not on a fixed pitch instrument like an organ or a harpsichord. Mm-hmm. And so they decided the thirds were more important than fifths in the early 16th century mm. so that they would sacrifice the purity of the fifths in deference to the purity of the of the major third.
0: Which is equal temperament?
1: No, this oh. is called a quarter comma mean tone oh, okay. temperament. And what this means is that they took one fourth of the comma, that discrepancy that I mentioned before, uh-huh and they divided it amongst four fifths which were then adjusted they were narrowed by one fourth of the comma and the comma is 22 and a half cents 100 cents to a semitone Uh and you divide that in four parts and that's how much you reduce the size of the fifth so that a an acoustically pure fifth which is 702 cents then you slice off what five and a half and you mm-hmm. end up with six quarter, quarter six ninety 696.5, and that's okay. a quarter comma fifth, uh-huh. which on its own sounds quite sour, okay. but combined with a beautiful third sounds very nice as a triad. The problem is it only works in keys with few sharps and flats, so as soon as you start trying to play in something like F sharp major, you don't actually have an A sharp, as an acoustically pure third above F-sharp. Okay. You have a B-flat there, which is quite, quite sharp thing. and really sour. So then they started experimenting with ways to make the system more flexible by dividing the comma into five, so you can have one-fifth comma mean tone. Mm-hmm. Another option was dividing it into sixth, which is one-sixth comma mean tone. At this point, the major thirds are no longer pure. They're still close to pure, but they're a little bit wider than pure, and the fifths are a little bit nicer, Mm -hmm. and you can play in more keys. But there were still limitations, because you still had to deal with the fact that certain notes that we call enharmonic notes today were actually two different functions, because A sharp can either be a major third of an F-sharp major chord, or it can be the root of a B-flat major chord, and those are two completely different places.
0: That's right, he just said it. B-flat and A-sharp used to be two different notes.
1: Which is why all the old charts for fingering for recorders, for instance, or fingering for violins, show a different fingering for F-sharp and G-flat G sharp and A flat, those are two different fingerings. Huh. So what happened was in the late 17th century, an organ builder player by the name of Andreas Werkmeister came up with a new system in which he said, let's keep the nicest characteristics of bean tone, which is to make the major thirds in the keys with the fewest flats and sharps sound nice and in tune, okay and by adjusting the size of every semitone we will still be able to play in f sharp major c sharp major g sharp major but the width of the third will become wider and therefore more tense Mm -hmm. so that as you go further afield and you start piling on sharps and flats in the signature Mm -hmm. you can play in those keys but they have a completely different character. Yes, which is kind
0: of cool because then keys really have personality.
1: Exactly, and then you realize that the well-tempered clavier of Bach is all about demonstrating the contrasts in character between the keys. Whereas if you play that in equal temperament, you don't hear that at all because C sharp major is just exactly the same as C major. So you might just as well save yourself the the aggravation of having to play in c sharp major and just play the piece in c major right but with these what were called well-tempered tuning systems with uh-huh. every semitone being a different size uh-huh. every key had its own flavor and then what happened was eventually there were people who were dealing with transposition issues where you had an organ in one pitch and a and the strings in another pitch. Uh And in trying to make the system even more flexible and allow for modulation into a wider variety of keys, Mm -hmm. people suggested the possibility of dividing an octave into 12 equal semitones. Uh And this is what we call equal temperament. It was first mentioned in the 16th century as a theoretical possibility, and it was rejected. It was mentioned again in the 17th century as a theoretical possibility and rejected because it didn't sound very good. The thirds are all nasty and the fifths aren't in tune and basically nothing except unisons and octaves are in tune. Uh But we've become accustomed to them and therefore it sounds okay to us. So that's the modern system where... The beauty of it is that every semitone is the same, and therefore every key sounds the same. The problem with it is that everything sounds the same. You know, it's like get telling a painter, I have now perfected colors. Here's a whole palette of gray, and now you don't have to worry about all of these contrasts between the colors. And you might say, great technological advancement on the one hand. On the other hand, what am I going to do with this? You've just given me a completely... Gray canvas, what am i how am I going to make music on that because you've taken all my color away uh-huh. and of course, the way musicians did that in the nineteenth century was by thinking about how to create character and color through dynamics and articulation and timbre. but you have to try to make that happen. Mm-hmm. In every key, the temperament doesn't provide any of that color by itself as it had previously. Awesome. I hope that's enough information well, that, it, it. that it, it makes sense, but not so much that people are totally confused. Yeah. A friend of mine at Case Western uh-huh. Reserve University, Ross Duffin, uh-huh. wrote a wonderful book a couple of years ago uh-huh. called How Equal Temperament Ruined Harmony and Why You Should Care. It's a great book.
0: Yeah, oh, I need
1: to read it. Yeah, How Equal Temperament Ruined Harmony and Why You Should Care. There are plenty of wonderful examples of performances in, in various historic temperaments. Uh, do you um, have
0: some in one of your recordings? Is there one that's particularly where you really feel that grit from the... You know, sort of other
1: keys. Well, that's a that's a really good question about things in my recorded output that would really demonstrate that. I always use one sixth comma mean tone um, okay. on the lute, um, and I'm sure that there are some examples in the Dowland box of chromatic pieces, maybe Forlorn Hope, Fancy, or uh, or Farewell, that would that would demonstrate that.
0: Cool. Do you want to give a little bit more of a, an introduction
1: to maybe the chromatic or the or forlorn Hope or one of those? Well, one of the things about the use of historic temperaments in chromatic music is that you learn that the size of every semitone is different. And so every note leans in a different direction. It has a different color. And getting used to the leaning tendencies of each of the notes in in chromatic music is part of the expression. Mm -hmm. You learn to gauge the amount of tension or lack of tension in each harmony. And the harmonic color that results from this is a very strong guide towards how to perform the music. Obviously, the more tense an interval or the more tense a harmony is, the tuning you can exaggerate as a player by having a a more assertive or acerbic tone color on those biting dissonances and to have something that's much more warm and relaxed on the consonants around it the feeling that a dissonance is like digging your nails into somebody's wrist Uh and then you relax the the nails so that you let go of the pain and they feel pleasure again is the the sense of a dissonance and a resolution.
0: Okay. So before we hear Paulo Odette play Dowlin's beautiful and somber forlorn hope fancy, let me just say thanks for listening to this All Strings Considered Short. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. If you've been enjoying the show, please rate on iTunes, like on Facebook, or follow on Twitter at AllStrings. Here is Paul Det playing the Forlorn Hope Fancy in the historical one-sixth comma mean tone tuning system. Until next time, enjoy those extra pure consonances and those abrasive dissonances and all the added colors that those create.